Uh, I hope you enjoyed the last weekend. Perhaps you caught up your dad or recalled some memories with him. Maybe you spent some time with father figures in your life. Uh, when I was young, growing up without a father, I looked for heroes in the culture. I had Michael Jordan posters on my wall. Rock singers like Eddie Vedder or Pearl Jam. And if you grew up in the 80s, who can forget Mr. T? He had this tough and rough exterior, and yet he managed to be sincere and inspirational at the same time. He released a motivational video called Be Somebody or Be Somebody's Fool. It features advice on various topics like anger, peer pressure, treating your mother right, friendship. Mr. T felt like a stern yet caring dad talking to his sons. I imagine that Paul had a similar demeanor, though I think I'm safe to assume he didn't have his physique or the mohawk. He's probably closer to Mr. Rogers in that respect, but like Mr. T, Mr. P wanted what's best for his spiritual children. He was genuinely concerned for them, guiding them toward maturity. And that will be more evident as we turn to the third chapter of Galatians. Chapters 1 to 2 mostly consisted of Paul's self-defense, defending his apostleship and the origins of his gospel. In chapters 3 to 4, he'll be more doctrinal and defend the contents of the gospel. And he can't help but be brash and in your face as the Galatians are going astray, but he confronts them with the patience and love that comes through the pages. So let's read Galatians 3, 1 to 14. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's in page 811. Galatians 3, 1 to 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credit accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us, 
from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Note the three identities of this passage. First, there's the fool in verse 1. All foolish Galatians. Secondly, down in verse 7, we're told that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Thirdly, in verse 10, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. And then building on these three identities, there are three ways to uphold the gospel. One, do not be foolish to depart from the faith. Do not be foolish to depart from the faith. That's verses 1 to 6. Two, know that we are blessed through faith. Know that we are blessed through faith. That's verses 7 to 9. Three, do not live under the law's curse, but live by faith. Do not live under the law's curse, but live by faith. That's verses 10 to 14. Take it from him, Mr. P, right? First, do not be foolish to depart from the faith. Note that there are six questions in verses 1 to 5. They're not questions that call for response. They're rhetorical. According to one dictionary, such a question is asked in order to create a dramatic effect or to make a point rather than to get an answer. What's the dramatic effect? And what's Paul's point here? It's right there with an exclamation mark at the start of verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. If you go through the six questions in order, you can outline the typical storyline of a Christian. Paul wants the Galatians to retrace their steps, stop at every major point in their spiritual journey, and ask themselves, when was living by the works of the law ever a good option? It has always been through faith in the working of God. It has always been not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit. Question number one, and you see where it all began with the Galatians. Paul met them and communicated the message of the cross vividly. I imagine that just as he did with the Corinthians, he determined to not to know anything among the Galatians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But now the Judaizers have turned their eyes away from Christ's finished sacrifice. They lured them away from the truth of the gospel. Question number two, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Here's how Paul's audience initially responded. They listened not only with ears, but with ears to hear. Like the Thessalonians, the Galatians welcomed the gospel, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. In other words, it was more than just an intellectual ascent of facts. Hearing of faith is genuine obedience of faith. 
And with the entrance of God's word into their hearts, there was the immediate entrance of God's spirit. When the Galatians accepted by faith the Lord's exceedingly great and precious promises, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They received the spirit as a guaranteed deposit of eternal life to come. Now, did they have to obey the law for that security? No, the only requirement was faith in Christ. Let's treat questions three and four together. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The Galatians literally had a promising start, beginning with the Holy Spirit of promise. But somewhere along the way, they got off track. They've stopped relying on God as the one who has begun a good work in them and as the one who completed until the day of Christ Jesus. They thought they could finish their spiritual journey in their own power. There are at least two errors here. First, they fail to realize that the flesh and the spirit are like water and oil. They don't mix. We're told later the flesh lusts against the spirit, being contrary to it. Secondly, it's like the Galatians were on a road trip and they decided to stop the car, empty the gas tank filled with oil, it pains me to talk about it like that, and replace it with water. What did they think was going to happen? Spirit gives life while our flesh profits nothing. We cannot rely on the flesh to complete the race. As the foolish Galatians strand are stranded, wondering why the car stopped running, Paul comes along and asks question number five, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? In other words, all that you've endured for the gospel was that all for nothing. Not too long ago, Paul and Barnabas strengthened the souls of the Galatian disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. They said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now the false teachers have weakened their souls, exhorting them to continue in something other than the faith. They wanted them to enter the kingdom through the works of the law. Question six. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I interpret God's supply of the Spirit here as different than the reception and the inception of the Spirit in verses 2 and 3. Again, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus is the fuel for spiritual progress, our sanctification. Also, God did not display the miracles among the Galatians because they were law observers. No, God did so because they trusted the Lord by hearing of faith. Let's review and divide the line between the wise and the foolish. And they're drastically different. In two of these questions, two and six, we're told the works of the law and hearing of faith are incompatible. It's either or, not both and. Also note how the choice between the two aligns with the options in question number four of verse three. I mean that hearing of faith corresponds to the spirit 
while the works of the law corresponds to the flesh. In other words, the works of the law operates in the power of the flesh. Hearing of faith relies on God's power working in us through the Spirit. So what will it be? Will you be wise or be a fool? Which side are you on? Are you on the side of faith, the Holy Spirit? Or are you on the side of the works of the law and the flesh? Can't be on both. Don't be foolish to depart from the faith for the works of the law. Now, as an ideal example of faith, Paul points us to Abraham in verse 6, citing from Genesis 15, 6, and Bob read that earlier for us. And consider the Lord's promise in light of the context and the odds stacked against him, against Abraham. We're talking about having a son at age 100 and a barren 90-year-old woman becoming a mother. But Abraham had faith in God. He did not focus on his body, already dead, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He believed in God, who gives life to the dead. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That phrase, uh, accounted to him for righteousness, is the immediate reward of faith. Here's an illustration. In a typical job, at the end of the pay period, you get a paycheck. You also typically get a stub that gives you a calculation of your labor, hours, etc. Well, Abraham got paid, but God God did all the work. On the check, it reads, righteousness before God forever. On the pay stub, it reads, a gift by grace alone, through faith alone. Now, Abraham does not know in detail how all of this works, but even with what little he knew compared to us, he trusted that God will make good on his promises. And that got him a righteous standing before God. If such wondrous grace is the reward of faith, why would we be so foolish to depart from it? And faith is a reward that keeps on giving. And that leads us to the second way to uphold the gospel. Know that we are blessed through faith. And remember that the Galatians have a choice. Be somebody or be somebody's fool. If they're going to shed their label of the Judaizers' fool, they're going to have to learn something from Mr. P in verse 7 there. You see how Paul has a simple lesson. No. And what exactly must they know? Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Let's not miss the shock value of verse 7. The Jews of Paul's day believed they were Abraham's sons because of their genealogy. Now Paul, an Israelite himself, says otherwise. 
He's following the example of John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus. The Gospels, remember how they warned the Jews, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It was in Matthew 3. Later, Jesus says to them, this is John 8, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And then as they rejected their Messiah and his forerunner, Israel's rejected for the time being. Now the Lord extends the title of sons of Abraham to Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Imagine a large table with many seats empty because of no shows. Jesus says, however, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now imagine people from every tongue and tribe trickling in, filling up the room. Look at this motley crew dining with the Middle Eastern patriarchs or Westerners like most of you, saints from the global south, and those from far east like me. And such a vision of Gentiles and Jews sharing the blessings of Abraham, that must have been appalling to Paul's enemies. Where's your proof of this from the scriptures, they'd ask. In response, Paul builds on Genesis 15, 6, which he cited in verse 6 with Genesis 12, 3. We see that in verse 8. Abraham's faith is not something that's merely individualistic or nationalistic. It's international. If others outside of Israel imitate it, they too will benefit. All nations can receive the blessings promised to Abraham by faith. It's faith that makes Abraham our father. By the way, there's so much potency and depth to this sonship argument that Paul will develop it later in Galatians and also in Romans 4. But here it is in its most basic form. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Why would you want to leave behind such a wondrous grace we have by faith? We'd be foolish to do so. But let's stop for an application and go back to that imperative in verse 7. No. And I'm going to borrow from Socrates, know thyself, and let me modify it. I'd like for us to go home with this principle, know thyself in Christ. If we just run with know yourself, then we won't get past the limits of our simple humanity. When we know ourselves in Christ, there's so much more. In my college years, I want to better understand myself. I asked a bunch of questions. Who am I? Why did God make me an Asian? Why did he place me here in the States as an immigrant? Those questions lingered on for a while. But once I changed my focus from know yourself to know yourself in Christ, I became healthier spiritually. I don't know why I was born in South Korea and came here. I do know 
that God planned all along to justify the Gentiles by faith and bless all the nations. I don't know why I grew up without a father, but I do know that through faith in Christ, I am a son of Abraham. It's key that we always remind ourselves of who we are, biblically speaking. Continue to follow the command in verse 7. Know. Know yourself in Christ. Know that you who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Study passages that reveal the way God sees you. Hide them in your heart. Know them again and again. Know the blessings of faith. Knowing is half the battle. And let me tell you, it really is a battle. There are competing voices in the culture. There's voices within and without. We're easily tempted to establish our own identity. At times, we're misled into thinking that living by the works of the law is the way to God's blessing. We have to resist such legalism and performance mindset. And that leads to the third way to uphold the gospel. Do not live under the law's curse, but live by faith. Verses 10 to 14 are held together by a series of quotations. There are four of them, and it all adds up to this. The Galatians are foolishly considering a grim alternative to the blessings of faith, the curse of the law. But now, before we discuss the quotes, we must clearly state that the law itself is not the problem. That's like blaming the surgical tool or an x-ray equipment for revealing cancer in our bodies. Romans 7.12 says the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But as God's demands reveal his perfect character, they also reveal how imperfect we are. Romans 3.20 says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. And since the law always does its job, will inevitably fall under its curse. And the first quotation in verse 10 establishes that fact right away. It actually comes from the law itself, from the mouth of the lawgiver, Moses, from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It's interesting to read the context in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 but I'll just summarize it for you. So here's what's going on in those chapters. Before the Israelites cross into the promised land, Moses, their leader, gives them some final instructions. Once they enter, they must locate two mountains that stand near each other, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. The 12 tribes split off into two groups and stand on one of the two places. First, they declare the consequences of disobedience. Next, after the curses, come the blessings. There are 13 verses in Deuteronomy 27 outlining the curses. There are 14 verses in Deuteronomy 28 outlining the blessings. Sounds about even, right? Just around 50-50. Come down to a coin toss. 
Well, Deuteronomy 28 goes on for a while. Moses continues and devotes whopping 54 more verses of warnings. So in total, it's 13 verses of blessings compared to 68 verses of curses. It's nowhere near 50-50, but closer to 1684 in favor of the curses. Why did Moses talk so much about the consequences of sin? Is he being a pessimist? No, he's being realistic about Israel. Even as he presents before them the choice of blessing and curse, he knows their rebellion and their stiff neck. He knows that they will inevitably fail because of their evil hearts. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's life under the law. The work of the law never ends. There are not just two or ten, but hundreds of commands to obey. But we cannot help but break them, and we'll continue to break them. There's no escape from our identity as sinners and transgressors. We'll strive on and on, trying to get off of Mount Ebal and unable to reach Mount Gerizim. Even if God's blessings right in front of our eyes, in our sights. If life under the law leads to a curse, what's the way out? How do we seek righteousness apart from the law? We see how in the second quotation, That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident because, here we go, the just shall live by faith. That's from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, and it helps to cite the entire verse. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. To live by the works of the law in our fleshly power is pride. You cannot be righteous before God that way. The just shall live by faith. The third quotation is from Leviticus 18, verse 5, and again I'll read it in full. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now can you see what links Leviticus 18, 5 with Habakkuk 2, 4 before it? It's the phrase, shall live. The just shall live by faith, but the one under the law shall live by God's statutes and judgments. These two are two completely different lifestyles. The fourth and final quotations in verse 13, Paul saves his best quotation for last. But if we live by faith in the Son of God, we cannot live under the law. Jesus took care of the curse of the law. Here's how. In Deuteronomy 21, the law of Moses permits hanging as a capital punishment. Those executed that way were considered cursed by God, getting what they deserve. Yet to leave the corpses to decay would defile their land, so even hardened criminals were given proper burial. 
Now, when Jesus suffered on the tree of the cross, it wasn't because he sinned. It was because we sinned. He died in our place, redeeming, that is, purchasing us with his blood, paying the penalty of sin we should have paid. God's blessing comes to us only if God's son becomes a curse. So the eternally blessed God had to be accursed of God. That's why Jesus, the lamb without blemish and without spot, was pierced in his hands and his feet. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man had to be lifted up. The Father made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. Someday he'll return to judge all mankind. Now all of this happened according to God's purpose. That purpose is stated in verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Paul goes further and personalizes it in the second clause that follows. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through, the, through faith. I find it interesting that if you line up the two clauses together, there's something like a sharpening going on. Who are the Gentiles in Christ Jesus? It is those of faith. What is the blessing of Abraham? It is the promise of the Spirit. Two applications here. First, I invite those who never received the blessings of God by faith to do so ASAP. Turn and repent from sin, your futile works of the law and self-righteousness. Turn to trust in Jesus who paid the sins, paid for the sin's curse and rose from the grave. That's the only way to be saved. That's the only way to be blessed by God. Secondly, if you are saved, live by faith and enjoy the blessings of the Spirit right here right now. When the world thinks of blessings, they usually think of material blessings. The main blessing of the gospel, however, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Through him, through that spirit, we have the assurance of salvation. Through him, we have power over sin in our lives as the Holy Spirit makes us holy saints. Having begun in the Spirit, let us be made perfect by the same Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I used to think that enjoying the Spirit presence in our lives was about having an amazing emotional experience, some worship setting with loud and piercing instruments. I play my heart out on my Gibson Les Paul stomped on my overdrive pedal. I try to get myself pumped up and get the congregation into it. These days, I want to understand more and more what is the holy in the Holy Spirit. I want to listen when the Spirit talks to me through the scriptures and apply that, right? Walk and be in step with the Spirit. I hope you do the same.
So take it from him, Mr. P. Stay in the faith. Know the blessings of faith. Live by faith. And as we do, the Spirit will bring us deep comfort. Let's think about that as we sing our final song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that we have you, we have your presence in our lives, that you are our great reward. And that's all we need. And Lord, that you did not just choose the Jews, the nation of Israel, to enjoy your presence. But now, in these past 2,000 years, the gospel has gone to all nations, gone to where I lived, gone to Europe, gone to different parts, came to us in the States, and the work continues. Because you want the nations to be glad in you, to enjoy the blessings of the gospel. But we know that the law does its part of convicting us, speaking to our conscience, and through it, there's the knowledge of sin. And we know that we can learn much about you by studying the law. But to think that we can find acceptance by going back under it, Lord, help us to get away from that kind of mindset. Help us to know who we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we not be foolish, but know who we are in you. May we study the scriptures. May we live by the Spirit, that blessing you give us through the gospel, through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.